Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. If you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm on the teaching team. Super glad that you're here this morning. And so we're going to continue on in our Advent series. So Advent is the arrival of Jesus, the hope of Christ, God come uh, to, to the world to, to rescue us. And you're like, hey, Christmas already happened. I'm, I'm going to tell you Merry Christmas anyway, because that's something we should celebrate all year round, because it reminds us of who God is and how he came uh, to, to rescue us. And the beauty of Christ should not be a one-time uh, event in a, in a season, but it should be the entirety of our life that we, we just behold the beauty of Christ. We take it more in, that we live in light of the truth that Christ has come. And so uh, we want to continue on at least one more week uh, in this Advent series that Jesus Christ has come and just uh, taking that in uh, by God's grace. If you have your Bible, John chapter 1, 19 through 28. John chapter 1, 19 through 28. The sermon title this morning is <clears throat> one of my favorite verses in Scripture, or at least taken from that, is the righteous, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And by God's grace, that's what we can be as we look at the beauty of Christ, that we can be found righteous in Christ, and that in that righteousness we would be bold uh, as a lion, that, that we would have that courage uh, and, and, and boldness to us as we look to, to Jesus. As Garrett mentioned, uh, that we're coming to the close of the year. Uh, we know that. So Merry Christmas and then Happy New Year comes right after that. And um, what I was thinking through this text and it really spoke to me, it's one of the things that if you can grab if you, by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God this morning, you could grab will change your life uh, today, but every day if you keep coming back to this truth. It is, it is profound uh, and, it is, and it is beautiful. Uh, he, here's what I know. We're all hurting in here because we're, we're humans and we have struggles and we have past and we have successes. Um, and, and what that leads to is a lot of fear and anxiety and restlessness. So if you have been struggling with, with habitual sin or if you've, uh, if you've suffered or if you have this deep guilt, uh, I mean, there's an anxiety to you. Uh, there's a fear to you uh, being found out uh, or the consequences of that or whatever that may be. There's also uh, a fear if you've been very successful. Maybe, as Garrett said, you had a great year, position, you got that job raised, you have this money, uh, maybe you got married, maybe you had that child you've been longing for. But now, in light of that, you know what I know about that? Is there's fear and anxiety to maintain what you had. What if this goes away this year? Um, and so we have this anxiety, this restlessness as we look to the world um, that, that kind of paralyzes us. It paralyzes me. I read a quote the other day, and it's pretty good. It talked about the 99 problems I have rolling around in my head, 86 of them are just made up. <laughs> I'm just, I'm fighting a battle in my head that's not even real. Why is that? Because you're thinking of outcomes and trying to control your life, which brings this anxiety, this restlessness, and we don't have to have that identity, that truth dominate our brains, our hearts, our lives if we look to the beauty of Christ. And so this is family-friendly gathering this morning, and so we have some kids. I'm going to read my favorite, my favorite uh, kids' book of all time is uh, You Are Special by Max Lucado. This, this actually sets the stage of where we're going. It's what I read to 
I think Joshua and Deacon, as we had kind of guest readers in their kindergarten class, so listen in. I'm not a great reader, so the, 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 the voice won't be great, but the words are magnific- magnificent if you could stay tuned. So this is about the Wemmicks. Uh, by Max Lucado, and actually has a lot to do with identity and what this text speaks on. But uh, the hope is to lure you in to say, man, I, I, I want to live like that. I want what they possess. And this text tells us how uh, to behold that. It says this. So the Wemmicks were, were small wooden people. Each of the wooden people was, was carved by a woodmaker named Eli. His workshop sat on the hill overlooking their village. Every Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, Others had large eyes, some were tall, some were short, some wore hats, other wore coats, but all were made by the same carver and all lived in this village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden stars and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the city, people could be seen sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint was chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing very pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good that they did something else and got another star. Others, those could do very little. They got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like others, but he always fell. And when he fell like the others, uh, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, it would scar his wood. And so the people would give him more dots. He would try to explain why he fell and say something silly. And the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb uh, such as forget his hat or step, uh, step in the water, and these people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that people would come up and just give him a dot for no reason. He, des- he deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello started to believe them. I'm not a good woman, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung, ar- he hung around with other women who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day he met a Wemmick who was unlike uh, any he had ever met. She had no dots or no stars. She was just wooden, and her name um, was, oh, I'm going to struggle with this, Lula. (laughs) It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some admired Lula for having no dots, so they they, so they run up to her and give her a star, but it would just fall off. Some would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but that wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want it to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked this uh, stickerless woman how she did how she did it. It's easy, uh, Lilo replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli, yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in his workshop with him. Why? Why, why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up the hill, he's there, and with the Wemmick, with no marks, turned and skipped away. But he didn't want to go, but he wouldn't want to see me, Punchinello cried out. Uh, uh, Lula didn't hear. So Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried, giving each other stots 
uh, dots and stars. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he resolved to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything, the stool as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tippy toes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here, and he turned to leave. Then, listen, then he heard his name. He says, Punchinello. This voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name, the little woman said. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke uh, thoughtfully as he inspected the gray circles. Looks like you have been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what other women thinks. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? The women are just like you. What they think doesn't matter. Punchinella, all that matters is what I think, and I think you are pretty special. Punchinella laughed. Me special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do, why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke very slowly, because you are mine, that's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stick to her? Because she has decided that what I think matters more than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. And he thought, what? The stickers only stick if they, if they matter to you. The more you trust and love me, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand. You will, but it'll take time. You got, a, you got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you of how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the women walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And then uh, a dot fell to the ground. So in this story, it's so interesting. These dots and these stars were given to people, been by people, by the performance. And then um, Lula and Punchinello start to figure out if they'd understand what, what the woodmaker Eli, which is in this story, God, says about them. The, the, the opinions and thoughts of a people wouldn't matter so much. The anxieties, the fears uh, that surround them would kind of fade away if we'd listen to the voice of our creator. And this is... Uh, really what John 1, 19 through 28, I want to point out. So this is John the Baptist, and he lives a totally different identity than anyone else at this time. Why? Because he starts to understand who Jesus is. If you understand who Jesus is, this is why Advent, if you really start to comprehend the beauty of Christ in Advent, it will change your life forever, and it will give you a new identity. You'll have a boldness to you. So let's look at verse 19. It says this, and this is the testimony of John. So again, this is who John the Baptist. It's the testimony of who he is. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed uh, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So I'm going to stop right there. 
So John the Baptist is, is having a following. People are coming out to the countryside, into the wilderness. Uh, they're being baptized, both Jews and Gentiles. A great following is coming out to them. Well, this is, uh, this is concerning to the religious order. So the priests say, hey, uh, I want you to go find out, man, who, who is this? Uh, and so these, these Levites go to Massive, wait, who are you? And the question is, they're saying, who is your identity? Who do you think you are? So this identity that John's living by is not that, that he's Elizabeth's son or a relative of Jesus. He's, he's talking about, man, who are you? And these series of questions under, help you understand who John thinks he is or maybe who he's not. So uh, in, in verse 20, they basically ask, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the one that we've been waiting for? And he says, no, because what, these religious people care very much about his rise to prominence because, you know, as, as people start to follow you, if you get a crowd at a church or your or, or work is going well or your social media platform is taking off, uh, that can be concerning to other people. Why? Because that means pe- people may not be listening to you. So these religious people we're very upset because they're like, man, this, this is going to be a power, power struggle. There'd be a, a, a transfer of, of prominence. And so they want to know who, who he was. And they asked him, are you the Messiah? He says, no. Verse 21, uh, they ask him and they said to him, well, what are you then? Are you Elijah? Uh, and, he, and he says, uh, he says, I am not. Uh, I am not. And he goes, are you a prophet? And he said, and he answered, no. So he has this view of himself. One, it's fairly not accurate uh, because Jesus said himself he was Elijah to come. He's the one that was the forerunner to, to, to point to Christ coming. But he had all these, these humble answers as like, who are you? What are you doing out here? Why are you doing all these things? We know that this is not fully accurate because Matthew 11, verse 9 through 14, uh, John the Baptist didn't actually know who he fully was. But in Matthew 11, it says this. It says, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So who was the forerunner? It's John the Baptist. And then listen to what it says. There is no one greater born of a woman. That means of all people of all times that have ever been born, there's no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all these prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who's to come. So John the Baptist even missed on who he really was. But Jesus says he was, he was a prophet. He is the forerunner. He, is, uh, he had the spirit of Elijah say, this is who is to come. So what's my point? What's my point in, in showing all this? Jesus said himself, he's the greatest person ever born of a woman. Now, John the Baptist couldn't see his own greatness, which is super interesting. John the Baptist had a following. People were coming to see him. They wanted to hear his message. So much so, he was, he was disturbing the religious order. He even kind of misidentified, you know, he was uh, Elijah who was going to be the forerunner, but he couldn't see his own greatness. Now, the question um, is, is that's, that's so different. And, and, and why? Because he wasn't looking at himself, but he's looking to Christ, and we'll get to more of that in a second. He couldn't see his own greatness. Why? Because he wasn't actually looking at himself, but he was looking to the one who is Jesus. Now, if you have a crowd and you're doing really well, and maybe you're a top, you haven't got the check mark on, on Twitter, or you're very popular, or you have position and power, you know what usually happens? 
There's a glory, there's a glory grass. You take what's not yours, which is God, and you, instead of honoring God, you start to honor yourself. That is the natural way things happen. We see it throughout history. Uh, this is not just in the world. This is in churches. We love to promote who? Us. But John the Baptist wasn't self-absorbed as he had this fall. I mean, actually, in, in, later on, he says, man, Jesus must what? Increase and I must decrease. That's a totally different operating identity. Now, it wasn't that he was just totally self-deprecating. See, some people have a very, you know, lowly spirit, and they're like, well, I'm not that great. You know, I'm not that smart. My IQ, I've made lots of mistakes. Or he wasn't self-deprecating himself. Everyone's saying how bad he was to bring humility. He wasn't hating himself. Some people do that, and that's actually a form of pride. Know why? Because you're just looking at yourself, right? He was not looking at himself really much at all, again, because he was looking to another. See, John the Baptist, his identity was very humble, is very lowly, and, he, and, and, and it was because, this next part, why? Because who Jesus was in John's eyes, who Jesus was in John's eyes brought this humility. Verse 23, it says, he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. See right here, John the Baptist is actually quoting Isaiah 40. When Isaiah 40, it was talking about a day that God himself would come into humanity and actually make straight the way of the Lord, that God was going to set things right to redeem and restore all things. And he says, who is that? He understood Jesus is that one. He was actually used the word Yahweh, that Jesus is God. So that's first about how John the Baptist had this, this humble attitude. He knew what? He was not God, and he, he had seen who is, which is Jesus. Now, Jesus is glorious and he's holy and he's Yahweh. God became man and dwelt among us, full in grace and truth. Yes, he came humble as a babe, but I think most of us don't have the respect and the awe that we have for Jesus. I mean, he's the Alpha, the Omega, the creator and the sustainer. God, Emmanuel with us. Some of us just ignore Christmas because we see a baby and say, oh, that's nice, I'm gonna go on my way. No, this is God. God has come. Now, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. This is not overstated. <laughs> Jesus is God. Now, and he knew who he was comparatively. It brought him very low. When you see Jesus rightly, the way that you understand that you're actually starting to get Christianity is you have a high view of Jesus, a high view of God, the Holy One, the righteous, the perfect. You, you have a there's, a, there's a reverence that starts to happen and when I know you're starting to get it, when I knew I started to get it, you, there's an there's a equal opposite things that happen. Comparatively, you understand you're not holy, that you are not righteous, that you are lowly. Listen to the speech as he understands who Jesus is. In verse 26 and 27, John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Listen, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, this is such an, it's such an interesting comparison. He says, the one to come who is Christ, who is Jesus, I am not worthy to even untie the straps of his sandals. Now, he was using the most lowly person in society who would clean people's feet and actually take out, take off sandals. That, that was the, the lowest low, the, 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 the uh, I'm going to use some language maybe, the, the, the scum of society. Like you couldn't get lower than that. And he goes, I'm not even worthy to do that position to Jesus. 
Now that, that, that's different. That's the lowest of lows. I am unworthy to even take off his sandals. He, is, he understood his unworthiness to be in Jesus' presence. He was low in his position as he looked to Christ. Now, if you have a high view of Christ, that Jesus is God and he came to rescue us, and you have a low view of self, you may ask yourself, what is the result of that? It may not be what you think. See, this is, this is, this is what I long for in my own heart, for my kids, for my wife, for you is that we would have a high view of Jesus, which would bring a low view of self, and therefore we would be bold. See, what happens here is John the Baptist is operating completely different than anyone else at the time. Why? Because he had a high view of Jesus, a low view of self, and the results are, man, astonishing, astonishing boldness. In verse 24 and 25, it shows this, his boldness. It says, now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So what is crazy is John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness and he's baptizing. This is bold. Why? Because he is baptizing both Gentiles and Jews. And usually they would even have their own ceremonial washings. And these baptisms at that time is when Gentiles want to become Jews. These are people that are not Jewish. They're saying, you know what? Through these ceremonial washings, I want to become a Jew. Who was John baptizing? Both Jews and Gentiles. Now this is a, this is so bold and was, uh, had never been done before. Why? Well, one, he knew, he knew who Christ was, and Christ was setting a new order. Christ came, the arrival of Christ, what, to set a new order, to make a new creation, one, first and foremost, in you. So everyone needs this new creation. So this was really turning the religious order on its head. See, at this time, there was like the Israel, there's Jews and Gentiles. They're the in and the outs. What, what was John the, Bab, John, John the Baptist saying? There is no haves and have-nots in the kingdom of God. Those are only have-nots. This is so bold and a new way of thinking that it was, it was confusing to the religious order. This is, hear me, one of the biggest things that we champion at the Door Church because it's so necessary, and we believe it's the message of Christ, it's the message of John the Baptist. There is not religious elites and irreligious people. These are only people that simply need Jesus. Everyone, they must come to see a, a, a high view of Christ and a low view of self and repenting unto Christ. See, so many people in church, you know what they actually need? They need Jesus. They're banking on their goodness to save them, and that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. I mean, he's challenging the religious order by saying, hey, we need to become a new creation. Romans 6.23 talks about this, for the wages of sin is death. You know what, how this flattens the playing field? I don't care where you came from, what you've done, whether good or bad, whether you think you're righteous or not, whatever your struggles are, the, the, the scripture, what John's saying is no one's righteous. The wages of your sin, your earnings, what you deserve because of your life that you lived is what? Death. Man, that is a religious flattening. There is no one who's getting it right. Only There's only one right one, which is Christ and it's so bold because he's also, man, inviting Jews and Gentiles. Man, he's turning the social order on its head. You know how bold that is? There's one thing we also try to do at the Door Church, in the midst of identity everything these days, like, you know, I'm not going to get too much into that. 
We don't take stock in our identity. We take stock in who God says we are. That's a totally different social order. The world is trying to make you, uh, your your gender, your race, your politics. Uh, They're trying to make your sexual orientation. Man, in Galatians 3.28, it says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what's so interesting here, he's not denying the fact there is, there is gender or there is difference between cultures. What is he saying? They are all image bearers of God. All image bearers of God. Every single person on earth has value. Why? Because God made them. Number two, that God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them. Man, talk, talk about a different social realm. We, see, the church has something different because of Jesus Christ. You see how bold these statements are that, that he is baptizing both Jews and Greeks, uh, or Jews and Gentiles. Verse 25, well, then they ask him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And listen, John's answer is so awesome. John answered them, I baptize with water. He doesn't answer them. He doesn't care what they think. He's not trying to get their approval. He's like, are you okay with this? I'm going to run, we run this up the food train with the Pharisees. Are they, 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 they give me the rubber stamp. He doesn't care. He says, I don't have to answer why I'm baptizing. I baptize with water. Now, what is he doing? He's offering What? become a new creation. He's offering a new way of life. He's offering a new identity. See, everything else is achieved. And this is, this is what I think if we could just grasp, man, we would be changed. I pray that you grasp again a little bit this, this morning. Is everyone of all, of all places, of all times, have lived from a received or achieved identity. We, we look to our performance or our family tree or status to understand who we are. So in the West, we're very individualistic. And we, we say, man, you got to be all you can be. And we define that so many different ways. But what we're trying to do is achieve our identity through our successful life that we, we define ourselves. Some, some people would say, man, that's a happy marriage or to get married. And we, d- depending if you have these things, then you'll have this uh, achieved identity. Some people, it's an educational status. You got to graduate high school or you got to have a graduate degree or you got to have a doctorate. If you are in this playing field, man, then, then I'm accepted. Or you look to your success and your money. If I have this amount of money in my bank account, then I've made it or square footage in your house. Or the, maybe you want to just live for your individual freedoms. No one can put anything on you. I do what I want. Uh, this all achieve, again, I put politics, sports, some people want a long life. We're all trying to work through these achieved identities, right? Well, the only problem with that, it's fleeting and it doesn't satisfy. Then there's a more Eastern thought, it's a family identity that you got to do what your parents say. You, you grew up this culture and this is what you are. There's a lot of pressure from parents. This is, this is your culture. This is your nationality and don't betray us. Right, that, that's, a, that's an achieved identity. There's class systems in the world. You will never be greater than this class that you're born into. What is that? That's an achieved identity. You can, never, you can never be any different religion than your parents. Why? Because that would be betraying your parents and that's an achieved identity. See, what John the Baptist is offering, what Jesus offers is not an achieved identity, but what? A received identity. It says, don't look to yourself, but look to me. Look to Christ, look to in his worth. Now, if you'll see what this is about, man, it, it, you'll actually start to see your worth. 
See, John the Baptist, and what we all should say, verse 27, I am not worthy to even untie the strap of Jesus' feet. In your righteous acts and your unrighteous act, you, you do not deserve to be in the presence of God. That's reality. That's where you're at. But the good news of Christmas is Christ came near to us, that he wanted us, that he pursued us. What's interesting, we're not unworthy to untie his feet or wash his feet. Jesus came to what? In John 13, to wash our feet. So if you know, if you know the passage of John 13, uh, he's, he, he gets a, a, a basin full of water and he puts a towel around him. He's going to start to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter says in verse 6 of John uh, 13, he says, man, you are not going to wash my feet. I know who you are. There's no way you're going to wash my feet. In uh, verse 8 of that chapter, Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. And he says, man, then wash my whole body. The idea is if you look at Christmas and what it means that he came and dwelt among us, that he lived, that he died, and he rose again, you actually start to hear the message of your creator in Christmas. I mean, he speaks as Eli, the woodmaker, did over those people that have shame and successes. This is not who you are. You are mine because I made you. You, you are special because, man, I died for you. You are righteous, you are pure, you are loved. Not because of anything you've done, but because what Christ has done for you. I mean, God speaks to us in the message of Christ that you are loved, that you are seen, that you are forgiven, that you are cared for, that he'll provide for you, that he gives you new life. Do you hear the voice of God in Christmas? Do you see the person that drew near to us? to make us clean in Christmas. As you do, you know what? The, the cares and opinions of the world don't matter as much. And you will actually start to be changed from one degree to another as you behold the worth of Christ. This is what it says in Proverbs 28, verse one. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. A lot of us are just fleeing in our own lives. We're just, man, floundering internally. And there's no one even chasing you. You're chasing yourself because you know you're a failure. You know you don't measure up. But it says the righteous, the ones who understand who Jesus is, what? They're bold as a lion. I mean, they, they live differently. And if you found yourself really in the grips of God's grace, which is Christ, verse 23, you'll be like John the Baptist. He says, I'm the voice of the one carrying out, crying out in the wilderness. Who is he? He says, I'm not the one. I'm not special, but I know the one who is. I know the one who is. You'll be a trophy of grace for God in your life. You won't take too much stock in your money. You won't take too much stock when other people say. You won't take too much stock. And if your marriage is great or if your kids are doing well, you won't take too much stock in this world because you'll know who you are in Christ. And what? You'll be a voice that's different in the world, crying out to the wilderness, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of my faith. You'll be a trophy of grace like John. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us consider the worth of Christ, that we would be found righteous, that we could be bold. God, I pray that we confess that we have so many different other identities, so many other different things that we're trying to achieve, God, that just don't satisfy. It's, it's truly laughable. God, I pray that we look to Christ and see our worth that he came to serve and not to be served and to give his life for who? Us. That he calls what? Our name. God, I pray by the Spirit of God that people would hear their names called by you this morning. 
by name, that they are loved, they are known, that they are special, and that they are yours. And it drown out the voices of the world trying to tether them to anxiety, fear, and these achieved identities. Help us rest in what you have done and find the peace that surpasses understanding because we know our creator. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.